0: It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. Sam Park, John Ramey with you Friday, January 26th, 2024. Congressional Republicans on the verge of leaving Ukraine high and dry. The World Economic Forum conference in Davos dominated by Trump talk. The U.S. economy blows away forecasts with a super strong fourth quarter. China calls on Iran to help stop the attacks on global shipping in the Red Sea. Sam Park, we are not 30 days into the increasingly harrowing and surreal year that is 2024. But on this Friday, January 26th, I find myself saying, yeah, I agree with the Chinese government and Mitch McConnell. Things that I don't often, you know, entities I'm not often inclined to be like, yes, we are aligned, but that's yeah, what we are. Crazy. Yeah,
1: it's pretty crazy. I agree with it.
0: Okay, so let's start with... Um, Let's start with the, the math, the data, the numbers. The United States uh, economy uh, increased at a 3.3 annualized rate of gross domestic product in the fourth quarter of 2023. What does that mean? Wall Street was thinking that the U.S. GDP would grow at 2%. So the growth, better than anticipated, significantly better than anticipated. Uh, consumer spending helped drive the expansion. Um but inflation, core inflation at 2%, which is where the Fed likes it to be. So we can't say that inflation is no longer a concern. I guess it's always a concern. But it has been tamped back down to where the the egg brains think it ought to be.
1: That's right. And in fact, uh, towards the end of last year, it looked like it was beginning to creep back up. Uh, but it, it sort of seems like it's, on the downward swing again. I'll be looking forward to next week's meeting of the Fed uh, to see what they might say, for instance, about uh, the situation in the Red Sea and what kind of impact that will have on consumer price inflation going forward. Uh, Just because I don't have the expertise to really make that call. And I would hope that the Federal Reserve does. Uh, So I'll be interested to see what they would say about that. But on the whole, as you say, this is a remarkably positive economic report for the United States and surprising to many people.
0: Well, that's, of course, because of, and I know you will love my use of this term, the vibes session, Sam, which is the vibes, the perceived status of the economy. I think I I have
1: a Lionel Hampton album by that (laughs) name. Very good.
0: Uh, I'm going to throw a graphic in here that may or may not fit in between our gorgeous visages, but I'm going to let it cover us up because it is from CNBC and it tracks the quarterly U.S. uh, real GDP from Q1 2021 through these most recent uh, numbers, Q4 23. And there have only been two quarters since Q1 21 that uh, did not increase. There were two consecutive quarters, Q1 and Q2 of 22, which coincides directly with the spike in inflation. Correct. Other than that, it's been all growth. But you wouldn't know that based on how uh, the political climate in the United States uh, is and is kind of congealing into narratives heading into the 2024 election. And Sam, I think you and I... We've been doing this podcast for over a year. We've been very blessed and that we have not had to address Donald Trump directly in these news stories because this is not a politics podcast. This is an economics and foreign affairs podcast. But right now, after two primary victories, it is all but assured that Donald Trump will be the nominee for uh, the Republican Party to run for president a third consecutive time. I would say it's not improbable that he would win the presidency again and the world's economies and the world's leaders are reacting to the many ways a second trump presidency could upset the status quo um shall we talk about davos or do you have anything do you have anything more you want to say about the economy
1: First, let's back up. Uh, It does seem, actually, that the public perception of the economy here in the United States, before we wing our way over to the Alps, uh, is actually improving. Consumer sentiment, as we've talked about a number of times, uh, is actually rising. And the number of people who anticipate or believe we're in a recession has been falling. And in fact, uh, President Biden's approval ratings are improving. And for instance, uh, this is, people have been sort of scratching their heads about this. Just like, well, the economic numbers are so good. Why don't people react more positively to them? And I think there's a number of reasons for this. Chief among them is inflation. People, I mean, people took price stability and generally low prices for granted because they were in place for forty years, and so people had no idea how to deal with them. And of course, inflation is a big problem for people at the bottom end. Of the economic spectrum it really hurts them a great deal and by the same token continued low prices are a boon to those people which a lot of folks seem to forget probably including ourselves right is that we sort of took for granted everybody took for granted how low prices would stay throughout what i've called the dis- disinflationary equilibrium that was in place for about 40 years uh so but it does seem that people's views are improving. And I would say one other reason why people had such negative views of the economy was that there were people with fancy job titles on TV every day saying, we're about to have a recession for a year. Uh, And they were all wrong. And I think that people in the financial news media need to kind of look in the mirror and, and think of what role they might've played in this. You it's, understand,
0: though, the hysteria will drive the engagement, which is the goal.
1: And again, I I'm not even sure that um, that's what I would attribute this to. I, I, that's certainly true, and I'm not. I don't mean to discount that as an explanation. I think that's ap- applicable here. But for instance, I think possibly probably the the longest standing cable news station that covers financial news is CNBC. Sure, uh, which we're using their graphic, right? Hundred percent, and so. Uh, they and thank you, CNBC. From- yes, exactly. Yeah. They, I'm, I'm not busting on them in particular. It's just that they're the the sort of flagship of, the, of that media offering. They came of age in the era of cable television. It was the 90s. The Cold War had just been won. The neoliberal consensus was in full swing. And that's just sort of who these people are. Uh, and I think if they're Republicans, they're sort of Pre-Trump Republicans, very sure. pro-business, very free-market, you know this sort of thing. Uh, if they're Democrats, they're sort of Clinton Democrats, right? They, they, in other words, all these people just sort of think that the neoliberal consensus is where it's at, and that's just the the way we should all be looking at these things. And so, when somebody like President Biden adopts aggressive industrial policy and interventionist economic economic policies, these people just sort of find it baffling and confusing. And you can see it in their faces. They're they're sort of just flummoxed that any of this could actually be happening. Uh, and I can't actually blame them for that, because it's just the, the ocean that they've been swimming in their entire careers, and they find it difficult to grasp the tools they might need to address a different kind of economic environment.
0: When you mentioned Biden's uh, economic interventionism, can we safely say now that this biden administration is the most interventionist since fdr or oh, at, least John- at least johnson right
1: i would say uh nixon right For
0: oh a- of course you know, see Nick- now that see th- i fell prey to my own liberal biases there yes that's yes. right nixon nixon, nixon and- had price controls
1: that's right I yeah mean, you know this was, he said we are all keynesians now right which, you know i don't want to get too much into economics nerd stuff but keynesian that, you
0: know- I- Keynesian
1: economics is the New Deal. Basically, yes. I mean, th- that's a good shorthand for it anyway, right? And uh, But within 10 years, that was no longer true.
0: That's wild. Yeah, we are all Keynesian, says Richard Nixon, and within 10 years, a man from his party, Ronald Reagan, dismantles that. Okay. That's right.
1: Politically, anyway.
0: Right. Um, anything else about the economy before, as you say, we go to the Alps?
1: Uh, no, I mean, we will be talking much more about the economy as as the year and this podcast progresses. So, you know, we'll get back to that.
0: Okay, the World Economic Forum has a retreat in Davos, Switzerland, in the Alps once a year. What is the World Economic Forum? Uh, well, it's about 1,000 multinational companies. It's public-private. It was founded by an uh, economics professor in Europe. It's not a cabal it's not the illuminati i know that our audience is not conspiracy theorists generally this is not a show given to conspiracy theories but or is it yeah right that's what we'd like you to think um but this is it's i have to get this off my chest having worked in the media for a long time right people talk about the media has an agenda and i say you've obviously never been in a newsroom these aren't people that can It's people that barely get to work, right? You know, we're all on deadline. There's no agenda. There's no narrative. We're just trying to make deadline. Similarly, Sam, you used to book conferences. We kind of, you know, probably what Davos is like. It's probably a little bit nicer appointed,
1: Oh, I think right? it's a lot nicer. Right. By like the, the way. coffee's
0: <laughs> probably pretty nice. The dinner menus, the wine selection's probably pretty nice. But you I and I have both a know a
1: small idea of what Davos is like. You know, I, I can't. But you really and I both know it's know. It's, like. yeah. it's a it's a bef- it's a
0: breakfast. There's a sympo- yeah. there are symposia, there's sure. a lunch, right? Yeah. Uh the Chinese premier, Li Kyang, had a lunch, right, at Davos, right? And and he had the charm offensive going, trying to invite foreign investors. There was a great quote from the JP Morgan CEO. Reuters did a a great rundown of like rumors from Davos. Uh, JP Morgan uh, CEO, Jamie Dimon said, I'm glad that people are all talking. One CEO said how it went with Lee, medium, right? But basically uh, Lee Kyung had a lunch, right? And said, Hey, foreign investors, come on back to China. We're doing well.
1: Right. And, you know, that. what do you expect him to say? You know? Uh, right. And, and so if that didn't go especially well, you know, he, he gave it a shot. That was his job. Uh, you know, if you go to Davos that's, and you're the Chinese prime minister, that's what you need to do. That's what you do.
0: Uh, exactly. Chainsaw guy, Javier uh, Millet, the new president of uh, Argentina, was there pushing debt restructuring. Of course. Right? Because that would help his country. Certainly. Uh, Vladimir Zelensky was there. Right? President of Ukraine. Who... Is concerned about how his war is going to be funded, especially given the political climate in the United States. So he's there making his case. It's a retreat. It's a corporate retreat.
1: Sure, uh, but it's it, it's the cor- You know, it's the sort of king of them all, y'all. Right. I mean, right. people go there, and uh, you know, they want to be thought of as important people, and in many cases, they are. Jamie Dimon, he's not. And he's some schmo, right? I mean, oh, does he uh, pronounce
0: it diamond? I gave it him is demon. diamond. Okay,
1: yeah. that's uh, funny.
0: Uh,
1: yeah, and but I for instance, I, the, I thought the uh, piece about Millet was really interesting, right? Because he's very anarcho-capitalist, according to him, right? But he's still pushing for debt restructuring, right? And so he's simultaneously reaching out to some of his fellow nations of the global south who don't share his specific. Political orientation, but he's looking to make common cause with him on the specific issue of debt restructuring, which I think is pretty smart. Right. And so we think of yeah. him as this sort of crazy guy, but right. that's kind of canny, I think. Uh, but, you know, there are many things that we could talk about with Davos. But the well, thing there's one thought, thing that hangs over it. Yeah. The him. thing that I mean, and this is, I mean, for instance, Davos happened last week, right? This is right. all, uh, uh, this news is all a week old. But since it ended, it seems that so much of what people were talking about was the idea that Trump could return to the presidency because, of course, Davos took place the same week as the Iowa caucuses, which Trump just stomped on. And uh, I think we all know that he's going to be the nominee. uh, And so that's what people are beginning to be concerned about. This is despite, by the way, the surprisingly strong performance of Nikki Haley, which is a topic for somebody else's podcast, but uh, it is something that's interesting and might have some impact on the race going forward.
0: So, you sent me an interview with Graham Allison, who's an American political scientist. He teaches at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. It was on DW, correct? The German uh, yes, news that's outlet. Right. A, a, a very informative interview about how the world is reacting to the specter of a return to the White House by Donald Trump. Um, I will post the link to that interview in the show notes so folks can see that. He echoed things we've been talking about, concern for NATO, but he also at the end had a rather, and he admitted it was naive, belief in uh, the robustness of the democratic traditions of the United States to withstand a second Trump presidency, which I think many people smarter than us would be less optimistic about, to say nothing of how we feel. Um I mean, can we just talk about why NATO exists and what it's for just very quickly?
1: Well, I mean, it was mainly to to withstand, help Europe withstand the Soviet Union. And so many and people need to understand the Soviet
0: Union with the Allies met at the end of the second world war in berlin and many people in the or some influential people with the allies thought well the army's already here these soviets are totalitarians we might as well have this war now right nato was the le- uh, the least awful option bertrand yeah, russell was calling for a preemptive nuclear war by the United States against the Soviet Union,
1: right? Yes, and this is why academic philosophers don't run countries. But uh, uh, the most
0: noted, a noted pacifist of the 20th century was calling for a preemptive nuclear war because the Soviet Union had not yet developed nuclear weapons and right. they were totalitarian and everybody was worried they were going to take over Europe. So NATO is the compromise that has held. And this is why. Thinking people in the world go insane when Donald Trump says things like, NATO, why are we in NATO? So that's right. Obviously, world leaders freak out when there's the possibility of a president who's not going to honor NATO, especially with a belligerent Russia.
1: Exactly. And while we're thinking about whether or not the United States is going to continue to fund Ukraine this year, which it seems like they might not, by the way, uh, but we'll get to that. A little later on today, uh, the problem arises, as Allison pointed out, which I thought was very interesting, where, as a matter of fact, the nations of the European Union in the aggregate have provided more military funding and more economic funding for Ukraine than the United States has, which I think many people in this country wouldn't realize. I would not have known that specifically till I heard that. The the problem is that it's not all being provided by the European Union as an institution. It's being provided by the individual member states. It's it's piecemeal. Yeah, that's of the European Union. And so, as Allison was saying, if the United States isn't going to fund Ukraine anymore, and- or pulls out of NATO, then European nations very reasonably think to themselves: if there's not going to be a NATO, we might need to use our defense funding to defend ourselves. And, and it might that money might be better spent building up our own defense capabilities than boosting those of Ukraine. And this is not at all an unreasonable. Position no. to take. And so it just, and I had, that hadn't occurred to me, I'm sorry to say, before I heard Allison say it. And so it sort of brought home to me in a way that it hadn't been before just how much is at stake here uh, and how far out people are gaming these scenarios. To their credit, uh, if people are actually having these discussions, then that is something that they really do need to do. Uh, I should say, though, that lately uh, I'm coming around to more of where Allison is about optimism that Trump can be defeated in November. Just because, as we were saying, the economy is getting better, and this is an important issue for um, Americans and you know people in any country, right? Uh, I I'm a little more hopeful about a Biden victory in the fall than I was just a couple of weeks ago, for instance.
0: I think I might be in the same camp, but I understood Allison's comment to be, even if Trump won. Now,
1: oh yeah, okay. maybe I, I'll review the tape, but yeah. It does, yeah.
0: But, yeah. Um, again, for those of you who might have missed the 20th century, the notion that Germany and France and the United Kingdom and other countries are going to pour resources into seriously arming themselves independently rather than being part of the tapestry of NATO has a terrible precedent, terrible precedent that is centuries long. You do not want a Europe armed to the teeth um, in their own kind of
1: atomized interests. So I'm not so sure I agree with that. I mean, for instance, As we were discussing uh, after Jacques Delors died a couple of weeks ago, right, there is a European Union now. There is a grouping of European nations that is entirely dedicated to the idea that they should not go to war with one another.
0: Well, but Uh, they also don't have very strong militaries. I think that might change when you get a militarist culture.
1: And by the way, that's something that some European Union nations have been talking about even before the invasion of Ukraine a couple of years ago, Uh, the idea that if we're going to be a European Union and that's going to be a geopolitical entity, we should actually look at the idea of having a common defense policy and some sort of common defense spending. And believe me, if Trump gets elected, people are going to be thinking and talking about that a lot more than they have been thus far. All
0: right, th- I'll tell you this much. If it's a European Union, Army, and Navy, I'll feel a lot less
1: worried about it. Of course. And that that's, I should say, that prospect is some distance off. Even sure. if Trump did win and pulled out of NATO, that would not come into being overnight by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it would be a lot faster than if he loses.
0: So yesterday, Trump got on his various social media platforms and said that- a compromise regarding border security, a legislative compromise between Republicans and Democrats uh, regarding border security that has been linked to Ukraine funding by Republicans would
1: be quote meaningless and, and- by Joe Biden by the way, not just by Republicans. That linkage right. between the border and Ukraine is not just a Republican idea. Uh,
0: and right, sorry. That's important. But Trump says it would be meaningless and, quote, another gift to the radical left Democrats, end of quotation. So Trump, who is not even the nominee yet, who is certainly not president, is...
1: Holds no office whatsoever. Right.
0: And is essentially telling elected officials in both houses of Congress what to do regarding uh, Ukraine and border security. Now, The Hill is reporting today that... GOP supporters of AD to Ukraine and the Senate are starting to look for a plan B. Schumer and McConnell are on the same page, right? Schumer is the Democrat leader, Democratic leader. McConnell's the Republican leader. They are looking to de-link now AD to Ukraine uh, and border security measures. Um, there's some speculation. Again, this is rumors from the Hill. Um, I mean, this is like total D.C. gossip that maybe... McConnell would link aid to Ukraine with a spending bill that has to get passed to avoid a shutdown in March. Um, So there are still some senators of the Republican Party that care about American prestige and well, not just world order, but
1: but about their own offices. For instance, Tom Tillis, who I believe is from North Carolina, uh, uh, he's a Republican senator, very conservative. He said today. I didn't come here to have a president for a boss or a candidate for a boss. Uh, I was That's really lovely to surprised. hear from the Republican yeah, senator, in, yes. Exactly. But, you know, Tom Tillis, he's been in office for a long, he's a sort of pre-Trump type right. fellow, right? Yeah. Uh, but, he, you know, I was surprised to hear him say that uh, and actually heartened by it. Uh, but I think that's the most likely scenario is to have so, uh, the, these... The Ukraine funding and the border funding again unlinked as they were to begin with, but it's appalling to me that there is a chance that even without Trump being in office, there could be no more Ukraine funding until a year from now. Essentially, uh, I wouldn't have thought that was possible even a few weeks ago. But now, I mean, it's I'm not saying it's going to happen. It is a real possibility and that just to me brings home what a dire situation this country is in right now
0: again this is probably as deep as we'll go into domestic politics in the united states but you have a republican majority in the lower house the house of representatives Barely and donald yet. trump can basically dictate how they vote right now without holding any office you have a democratic majority a narrow one yes in the senate and you have some Republican senators who still believe in the United States as an international power.
1: In fact, there are some in the House as well. Uh, but Very few. Yes, in general. uh, But but the point is that there are bipartisan majorities in both houses that would easily support funding for Ukraine. If if not for. Yes, if left to their own devices. But the problem is they're being held hostage by the uh, hard right on uh in represented in the person of Trump and a small number of people in the house
0: anything else you want to touch on with regard to aid to Ukraine which again could be could be shut down for a year although tune in
1: next week I mean uh, we're all I'm,
0: rooting for Mitch McConnell now
1: yeah the uh, one thing I would say about it is that it has to happen very soon they're already running low on ammunition they need that money yesterday and probably the day before yesterday
0: so from rooting for Mitch McConnell, we'll now uh, compliment the Chinese government. This is from today, Reuters, this morning. Chinese officials have asked their Iranian counterparts to help rein in attacks on ships in the Red Sea by the Iran-backed Houthis, or it could risk harming business relations with Beijing. This was linked to Reuters, uh, leaked to Reuters by uh, Iranian sources and a diplomat, familiar with the matter this is the quote from one iranian official who was briefed on the talk so this is secondhand and anonymous to reuters quote basically china says if our interests are harmed in any way it will impact our business with tehran so tell the houthis to show restraint
1: you predicted this last week well i don't want to pat myself on the back yeah but i I will I'm sort of surprised it took this long. Well, China... you said that uh,
0: the foreign minister was, you know, drinking warm co- or cold cocktails in a warm climate.
1: Yeah, that's Brazil, right. right. Yeah, yeah. he might have been sort of busy. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I don't know if he's home yet. I think he is, though. Actually, right. So it might not be coincidental that this happened this week. Uh, but China ships tons of stuff through the Red Sea and this US Canal. If they have as strong an interest, in fact, I would say they have a stronger interest in this. Than the United States does. So if this is true, which we can't really tell if it is or not. It's a report from Reuters. Yes. It could be true. It's could be accurate. Better late than never. And uh, it's something that we should smile upon, uh, especially since uh, the Houthis launched a attack on a United States warship in the Gulf of Aden today. Uh, and uh, I, of course, checked the Drury World Container Index ah. yesterday. Right. Shipping costs are still rising, but not as steeply as they were a couple of weeks ago. Right. So uh, we can be happy for that. I also, uh, during this uh, period when we've been talking about the Red Sea, uh, I just dropped the name of South Africa a couple of times sort of in passing. Right. I happened to see a, a BBC report from Durban yesterday uh Which is the main port city in South Africa? They're running at full capacity. Yeah, it's a gold rush. Yeah, they act no, but they can't keep up. They don't have enough slots at the dock to to uh, people need to refuel. People, you know, uh, need repairs and things like this, and they can't cope. Uh, But this could be an opportunity for them. Their consumer goods might become cheaper, right? Because every freight company in the world is going to be going. Yeah, you know what? We're going that way anyway. What do you need, right? I mean. That's a great
0: point. They're going to have incredible, or they
1: could have, a surplus on a lot of goods. Well, but they're going to need to upgrade their port facilities considerably before that can happen because they're just not used to having this.
0: Boy, what a golden opportunity for a Keynesian moment for the South Africans.
1: It could be if they can seize it. The problem is that South Africa is a deeply corrupt country. So any money that they're going to try and spend to do this, a lot of it will just disappear. Uh, but it, but you're right, it could be a great opportunity for them because I don't see that the risk profile in the Red Sea is going to actually decline anytime soon. But, of course, this is something that we've talked about for several weeks already running. We'll come back to it, I guarantee you, and there will be more to say about it. Uh, at Davos,
0: there were lots of many discussions reported about the uh, medium and longer-term kind of gaming out scenarios uh, of international companies that are not going to be able to use the Suez Canal in the Red Sea. Um, just to talk about China and their leverage over Iran, this is a number that blew my mind. Okay. Chinese oil refiners bought 90, over 90% of Iran's crude exports last year, uh, according to tanker tracking data from Kepler. Yes. Um, that's
1: leverage and a half, man. And by the way, they don't have to. That's That's right. That's the important part. It's not 90% both ways. That's right. Uh, They're getting lakes of oil from Russia, right? They could buy it from Saudi Arabia. There's plenty of places that China can get oil. They don't have to buy it from Iran.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. Iran's economy is not particularly diversified outside of petroleum.
1: No, it's not especially.
0: So... Yeah, China has leverage to tell Iran to tell the Houthis
1: to knock it off. Quite a lot of it. the The question, though, is how much actual operational control Iran has over which, the Houthis, which which we've, which we've talked, talked about. about. Uh, I'm that's unclear to me. I don't know uh, how strong it is. There, they definitely have uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps personnel on the ground in Yemen in some number, but how much the Houthis are actually saying yes or no, sir, to those guard corps personnel? unclear. And I don't think anyone actually knows the answer to that question.
0: You mentioned the attack, the most recent attack on a U.S. warship. A spokesperson for the Houthi military forces said they fired ballistic missiles at several uh, several U.S. warships that were actually shepherding uh, some Maersk uh, ships through the Red Sea. Yes. I'm not a military guy. Ballistic missiles at warships seems weird because those are that I feel like you could Yes, that's right. And Perfect. in fact they the US Navy intercepted some of them, I think.
1: I think I think were, none of them hit anything. None right? of them hit, uh, correct. But that's all they have or the, right. you know they may not have the exact quantity of other kinds of munitions that they what would be better suited sure. to attacking ships. So if that's all you got, then that's what you That's what do. you lob. Yeah. Um I also
0: went to Drury's, Sam, which gives us our container rates so you talked about the the spike um slowing in yes. rates specific to the Red Sea and the Suez Canal but there's a knock-on effect um unaffected routes are being priced up Shanghai to Los Angeles does not go through the Red Sea and cargo rates have jumped from just under two thousand uh a square foot to nearly 3900 a square foot uh, yes. in a 40 foot container over that, the course fact, from the, December to now
1: that particular route that uh at least in in amongst the ones that are visibly tracked by drury that one still is the one that seems to be still rising the fastest uh but it might just be because ships are late getting from the other routes and right? it's a that, long
0: way from shanghai
1: to los angeles exactly uh right. so you know uh, but on the whole uh the rates are not rising as quickly as they were which is good i think for everybody
0: Sam, I have to admit, when I was prepping for this episode, you know, usually I have a fairly kind of rigorous this story, this story, this story, and th- this one felt like it was all the same story.
1: It is. And, it is.
0: And I, I, we can't
1: escape that, right? No, and that I think that's something uh, a phenomenon that we're going to have to continue to to confront throughout the rest of the year. Just to take a little break, though, uh, and to. Return to a topic that we were talking about last year. If you know it all seems like the same story, well, here's something different. Uh, Joe Biden, president of the United States, received the endorsement this week from the United Auto Workers, and we talked last year about Biden appearing on the picket line with the UAW while the UAW was on strike, the first American president to do so. Uh, and so in return. Biden appeared at the the, uh, national conference in D.C. for the UAW, which went on for several days, but was capped off with Sean Fain, the president of the United Auto Workers, uh, giving Joe Biden a 15-minute intro before Biden spoke uh, to deliver the endorsement of the UAW. And for people who aren't familiar with Sean Fain, uh, it was very much in the vein of the kind of things he normally says. He talked a lot about how Donald Trump is the president for the billionaire class. He called Donald Trump a stab, Uh And he didn't just say that. He bellowed, Donald Trump is a scab." Donald uh-huh. Trump doesn't pay people to work for him. That's right. And, uh, you know, he appeared at a non-union uh, auto plant during the strike while Joe, literally the day, within a day of, Joe Biden standing on the UAW picket line. Now, unions are more popular in this country than they've been for decades, but it's difficult to say how much impact the UAW's endorsement of Joe Biden is going to have. And I'm hoping that, and I'm pretty confident that this will not be the last time we see President Fain on the campaign trail helping Joe Biden get reelected. So that's a little break from all the rest of this stuff. It's still related, but it, it's you know sort of an outlier for the rest of the topics that we've covered today.
0: Questions, comments, suggestions, johnrameymedia at gmail.com, johnrameymedia at gmail.com. Sam Park, are you keeping your eye on anything for next Friday, which will be February 2nd?
1: mainly the fed meeting honestly right uh, i'll be interested to see what they say and you know we thought at the end of last year that we wouldn't be covering fed meetings quite as closely this year as we did last year just because inflation was moderating so strongly uh but again i'll be interested to see if if chairman powell says anything about the red sea in particular so that's but, right
0: the the, the last the, the gdp report we just got that showed the 3.3 percent growth showed inflation holding steady at 2%, but the Red Sea's got to totally upset that, right?
1: Well, I don't know about totally upset, but I, I'd be interested to find out what sort of impact Chairman Powell might think the Red Sea situation has, because it will add inflationary pressures to the economy. The question is, how much does how much do shipping costs actually factor into consumer prices? And I'm not an economist. I don't know. So I'd like to have someone like Chairman Powell tell me.
0: I hope everybody enjoyed this one. We'll visit with you next Friday uh, for Sam Park. I'm John Ramey. Have a great weekend. Thanks, folks.